This is Mark Lassini, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Hans Driver. Snyder with scores! Now it's Brock Cadell scores! Hands off for Rabel, switches hands and scores! Kylie Miller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson! Finds a wide open Danowski, and Glassini blocked it with his back! Welcome to Season 2 of the Pro Lacrosse Talk Podcast, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, and together we're bringing you interviews from all your favorite players and coaches, as well as news and analysis from all four professional lacrosse leagues. We're here with Mark Lassini, Yale graduate and current member of the NLL San Diego Seals and PLL Chaos. Mark, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start a little bit with the uh, beginning of your career. You grew up in North Jersey. Uh, you went to Mawa High School. You helped build that program, including winning multiple league championships and being named North Jersey Player of the Year. Uh, talk a little bit about picking up the stick for the first time. Sure, and I, I think uh, I started the game a little bit later, especially compared to my uh, Maryland and Long Island friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't pick up the game until fifth grade. I came actually over from a baseball practice, and it was Mawa Lacrosse Family Night. Uh, a man that I'll speak about when I speak of Mawa Lacrosse is a guy named Brian Callanan. He's the first person uh, that put me – Uh, on the field, gave me a lacrosse stick. He was my first uh, guest on my podcast because of his influence in in lacrosse and and teaching me the game right away. Uh, But fifth grade is when it started for me. I actually started off as an ex-attackman, which brings me back to those days. Uh, But I had played every sport under the sun. I was primarily a baseball player at the time, and I picked up lacrosse. Uh, But I remember the day that I quit baseball was when I was finding myself in center field, reaching in the back of my pocket for, for more sunflower seeds. And I think just the pace of the game is, is what brought me away from baseball and closer mm-hmm. to lacrosse. Uh, I played ex attackman all throughout uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, all the way up to the end of middle school. Uh, I played it uh, throughout my high school career. When I joined uh, Mawa High School, it was because of Brian Callanan. When I was an eighth grader, he started the program uh, at Mawa High School, uh, the public high school there. Uh, he had already started suffering, which was right across the border, across the town uh, in New York. And I was choosing between all the parochial schools around us, the St. Joe's, Bergen Catholic, and Don Bosco. Mm-hmm. And I chose to go to Mawa High School because of him. And my freshman year, we didn't even have a varsity program. Uh, we played JV um, as a freshmen's and sophomores. And then my sophomore year, uh, we had our first year varsity program. And due to his uh, way of discipline, and he was an ex-Marine, so he actually p- pushed for conditioning. I think that, that that is something that you'll find as a through line throughout my entire life is the conditioning that he instilled in me as a fifth grader. Uh, and then my junior year, uh, is when I won North Jersey Player of the Year, and we won the Bergen County Championship uh, over uh, Bergen Catholic in the finals in Ridgewood, who's another powerhouse public school. So it was quite the journey, and it's uh, a, had a big impact on me all throughout my career as a lacrosse player because it's much different uh, than many others uh, that play lacrosse today. You know, absolutely. And I actually, right now I'm in Brick, New Jersey, but I was living in uh, Weehawken. So very familiar with that area in the past year or two. Um, so it's very interesting to hear too about its growth, you know, of the game in just the past five or six years, as you said. Absolutely. absolutely. And I listened to your uh, podcast with Coach Callanan, and I, I think he could make anyone want to run through a brick wall, <laughs> right? I, uh, but I, I, I was a goalie, so I kind of, 
I, I got paused by that just because I didn't want a, a cone to be thrown in cage instead of me, right? <laughs> yeah, like that. I couldn't believe that story. I've never heard of it before, but yeah. it doesn't surprise me in the least in, in the way he carries himself. Yeah. Great man. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so uh, kind of transitioning to the college side after your Deerfield, you did decide to stay in the New England area and head to Yale and play for, for Coach Day. Talk about what, into, what went into that decision and uh, to head to New Haven and your experience as a Bulldog. Yeah, it was actually one of those moments where I talk about uh, this with my mental clients and my teams. There's moments in life where you, where you have to bet on yourself. And I wouldn't be uh, doing the story justice if I was talking about it uh, by starting at Yale. I would have to go back to my junior year in which I was still very under-recruited. I think that's something that is omnipotent among a lot of high school athletes because of the saturated market of, of recruiting. And at the end of my junior year I started going out two and a half hours out to practice to play for the Long Island Sting because they had more exposure they were among there with the expresses and the crabs and all these different um, powerhouse programs where I started to get the exposure for the first time so long story short uh, when I was uh, finished my junior year uh, as North Jersey player of the year I was offered by Williams to play football and lacrosse and that was really tough for me to turn down and I don't know why I necessarily did other than I wanted to play lacrosse at the highest level uh, I still speak to coach McCormick uh, who's the coach at Williams very great man and that that was really heavy on my heart to turn that down because I think I could have done great things there but I just wanted to play lacrosse at the highest level and I decided to turn down that offer uh, because I wanted to bet on myself and I wanted to play at the highest level and uh, when I declared postgraduate year I went into the fall of my senior year uh, un uncommitted anywhere and I took a, a few different tournaments after sending out that email that I was going postgraduate one of the things that I would say to everybody that's trying to get recruited in high school is it's very much like sales and you can't get discouraged in, in the fact that your email is not getting responded to. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember sending out a post. I was declaring that I was going postgraduate. I didn't know where I was going yet. Um, within three or four weeks and two or three tournaments uh, had been offered by Yale, Harvard, and Georgetown. So it just was one of those times where uh, I did bet on myself. I ended up committing to uh, Andy Shea at Yale because he was the first one to, to bet on me. And uh, then the rest is history. I went, it was between, me and Michael Quinn, another All-American, one of the best defenders that I've ever played with, he went to Hotchkiss and I went to Deerfield. Coach Shea had us pick a, a postgraduate school that we'd like to go to, and I heard about Chip Davis and the powerhouse program at, at Deerfield Academy, so I was excited to go play under him or, or nowhere else. So then I went there and became a two-way midfielder. He had me uh, on the wing. Uh, running first line O midi and then first line D midi. And I, that's where I kind of developed even more. Uh, throughout my high school career, I went from 168 pounds as a sophomore, uh, really started hitting uh, the weight room going into my junior year before my breakout year. And I came into that season 191 pounds. And then my PG year really set me up for my four years at Yale and the fact that at one point I got up to 213 or 215. Right. And I was coming in as a, a much more of a thoroughbred horse that can go up and down the field rather than that slick ex attackman. And it really feeds into the whole story of, of me um, looking for ways to win rather than caring about what role I was going to play. And Chip Davis put that into me and inspired me to be an all around complete lacrosse player. And then when I showed up uh, at Yale to get to uh, answer your question is, uh, 
we had a lot of seniors that were going to be taking the offensive midfielder role or, and we were set at attack. And when coach Andy Shea said uh, I could play right away, if I, I wanted to play transition midi or D midi, I jumped at the chance, right? Cause I knew my athleticism um, could help the team win and I wanted to be on the field and uh, the rest is history from there. You know, that's awesome. And, you know, I think you put it aptly that you, you just wanted to, do, to win. You know, you weren't too concerned about your role, whatever your role was. Um, winning was important to you. You had a great career at Yale. Um, you know, talk a little bit more about that and how your, you know, game kind of progressed from your freshman year to your senior year. Sure. And I think it's right in line with the Yale lacrosse program. It was something that we had been really fortunate uh, to have while I was at Yale was the sports science behind Thomas Newman. Uh, that really changed the tide in the way that we were looked at as more as Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And we were caring about what we put into our body and, and how we worked out. And it was very customizable and it was less primitive. It was more uh, nuanced and we were focusing on power output and pro agility time and, and really caring to the individual uh, that's on the team. So I think uh, my first two years at Yale before Thomas Newman came in, we were a very gritty group. I wouldn't even say we were too lacrosse savvy. We were just very gritty. There was a culture already instilled. They had won an Ivy League title before I got there while I was at Deerfield. And it was just a bunch of tough dudes. Uh, and that's what Andy Shea has always made us, is, is accountable, um, willing to put in an extra effort um, in the classroom and on the field. And it's kind of how uh, a Yale lacrosse player is today. Kind of how they do anything is how they do everything. And so we went from that gritty culture uh, and then mixed it in with a sports science. And then now we're getting a, a lot of different talent, or at least Andy Shea is able to pull from different areas and everybody wants to go to Yale. But that wasn't always the case, especially uh, before I got to Yale. And even in my first couple of years at Yale, it was just uh, we didn't have uh, the Ben Reeses of, of the world, right? We were uh, very uh, tough. We were very strong minded. Uh, and then having that sports science and, the, and then the recruitment of talent uh, really has taken Yale to the next level. And I fall right in line with that trajectory and the fact that uh, I came in very athletic, as I talked about. Uh, I was really sound physically. Uh, that probably came from my senior year while I was at Mawa High School. I actually became a player coach because I had a stress fracture in my L2 and L4. So I was expecting to come in my senior year and have a better year, and I was on pace to do it. Uh, already setting the point record in the state of New Jersey as a junior, I, wanted, I was on pace to even beat that as a senior. And then I, everything fell apart from my back, and then my mom got sick with lymphoma. So that kind of has led me to do – what I'm doing today is, is teaching uh, the physical game, the mental game because of when I lost it. And I really feel for those athletes right now that don't have the sport because I remember being uh, a senior and, and losing the back half of my career. A lot of tears there, a lot of questioning, why me and who am I if I'm not a high caliber athlete? Um, so I had an identity crisis, but I decided to turn to visualization and imagination. And that's where a kind of the first taste of the mental game and callousing, not just my hands in the weight room, but callousing my mind. And I took that mentality with me to Deerfield. And then I took that mentality um, with me at Yale to hopefully lead other people. Um, one of the guys that I really uh, love his work ethic and saw him grow as a junior, as a freshman when I was a junior is Ty Warner. Right. And I remember having a conversation that uh, if you continue on your trajectory, you'll be a first team All-American. 
and he graduated uh, in 2018, not only as a first team All-American, but as a national champion. And I think uh, it's all, life is all about the trajectory. Uh, we get a little bit too caught up in the location of where we're at uh, and not too focused on the brick and mortar, chop, chop wood, carry water every single day and work your way up. And that, that explains my Yale career to a, to a T. Yeah, no, I think that's fascinating, too, that you talk about, um, you know, you barely touched on the lacrosse aspect a little bit. You were talking about, you know, the strength and conditioning, sports exercise science, the mental side of it. I think all those, you know, often get lost when we're talking about what makes a team great and what makes athletes able to perform at such a high level. So it's really cool to hear, you know, kind of your thought process on that and your uh, your thoughts on all the things that go into you know, how you can perform at a high level that aren't lacrosse related. So I think that's pretty, pretty, very, very interesting. I would also say the game has changed in that. It's such a great point that you make in that I think years and years ago, you didn't need to be necessarily a football looking type athlete to succeed at the division one level. But I think that's changed. Like if you're not doing strength and conditioning, if you're not worrying about the mental game, then you're going to, you're going to lose more often than not, just because everybody has that high competitive fire and they're mixing it with that uh, mental game along with strength and conditioning. So I think it's more pertinent now than it was decades ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love, there's this quote I love, JJ Reddick said, you're not, you're never, you've never arrived. You're always becoming. And that trajectory, that kind of along the same lines of that trajectory is what what I was thinking of when you were chatting about that a little bit there. You really kept that mentality, uh, obviously when you went to the pros as well and that you were a fourth round pick. Uh, by the Bayhawks, spent three seasons with them. Uh, how were you able to really mold your game and adapt uh, to the pro game for your success? Great question. And I think it uh, stems to little victories. I was having a conversation uh, with Brody Merrill, somebody I've become very close to, not only as a me- one of my mentors, but a friend inside the game, a, a really close friend. And we have these conversations often about little victories. And I think I was focusing on them uh, in high school. I remember my high school coach saying I could smile a little bit more, but I was just focused. And I think that's at that level, at the high school level, if you have a high amount of focus and and undying competitive fire you can win games at the high school level and then once you get to the collegiate level there's separating factors because everybody has that kind of competitive fire right as you're getting closer to the pro level Uh, I remember sitting down with coach Baxter who's now the head coach at Fairfield I had the privilege of having him as my defensive coordinator for four years he started at Yale when I started at Yale and it was pulling teeth for me to get me to watch film as a freshman right I was playing D midi for us uh and we had four-year starters at pull. Uh, and I was this young gun who was athletic, but I didn't develop this until later on. I'm pointing to my head here if this is just a podcast. But I didn't develop between the ears until my junior and senior year. I had Brian Kane as my first mental coach who inspired me to go find my now mentor, Dr. Rob Gilbert, who uh, I now teach and preach the mental game with. Um, I was a student, a graduate student of applied sports psychology, and now I teach it with him. So I guess in answering this question, I would have to say those little victories. And they're uh, not just found in the weight room when everybody else is working out. They're not just found in winning the scrimmages when coach says that we're going to play a one goal game. They're found in um, the extra mobility that you do throughout the week. They're found in studying the game, not just yourself, but the opponent. And when coach Baxter started teaching that to me, preaching it to me, I hated it. 
I hated watching films so much. And now I'm the biggest advocate. I would argue that nobody watches more film than me at the pro level. And the fact that as a D midi, I've understood that it's not my job to stop the, the opponent from scoring, but to deter him from taking the shot that he wants to and give my goalie the best chance to, to make a save. So I would say it's less about uh, the overarching wins that everybody knows about. And it's about finding those little victories inside your day, inside the film, inside the mobility and the stuff that maybe the majority of the fish are not paying attention to. And I think that's what makes a shark is those, those little victories throughout the day and week. No, that's an interesting mindset. I, I really like that. Um, and, you know, you made the jump then to the PLL following your MLL um, career with the Bayhawks. Um, joined the chaos with Coach Towers. Um, you've been known to take a jump in front of a lot of shots, um, which is kind of your MO now. But talk a little bit about, you know, joining this chaos squad, um, joining Coach Towers. You know, how has his leadership helped you guys take that next step? And what are you looking forward to the most, I guess, in this championship series coming up? Yeah. Well, I'm going to answer that in, in two parts because uh, the jumping in front of the shots is obviously something that I get asked a lot. Uh, takes me back to the commitment that I had to myself in my Yale career. I remember uh, having a conversation with Coach Andrew Baxter and, and saying, uh, we're done watching ourselves in film. Is there anything that you want to watch? And I remember saying to Coach Baxter, hey, there's this guy, Danny Burns, and he's playing for Team USA against Team Canada. I've been watching his film a little bit. And we watched it that day at practice. And then fast forward, I get drafted by the Bayhawks. And on game, game number one, uh, the D-Middies that are playing that day is uh, Danny Burns and Marco Cini. I tapped him on the chest. He go, I was like, dude, you don't realize how, how long I've been waiting for this moment. And he said probably something along, get ready, rookie, get ready to play, you know, because <laughs> it wasn't as big for him as it was for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but kind of having that commitment, and I mean commitment on a deep level, not just uh, wanting to show up and throw play wall ball or anything like that. I mean, like actually thinking about it, losing sleep over it, having somatic responses of sweating in the hands. And that has carried me throughout my pro career with the Bayhawks and now at the chaos where there's this platform on NBC and the talent is so high. The speed of the game is so fast. And it's like, if you are not ready to keep up, the train is not going to stop for you. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking to grow every single time and every single day and every single year. I was very upset with the way that uh, things ended last year. I was texting coach towers that I, I watched a, uh, the, the Redwoods lost last year in the playoffs and my blood was boiling. And uh, we were looking at different things that might need to be fixed going into this year. And I really think it stems back to chemistry and the culture, right? And that's, a, that's something that's uh, contagious at the collegiate level and at the pro level that if you can have the chemistry and the culture right, you're going to win one goal games, close games and high pressure situations. So to answer your question, what I'm most excited about is to carry my individual commitment and craft along with my great teammates and players a culture that's undying right and that that will carry us not just in the beginning of this championship series but will allow us to, uh, a chance to, to to win the crown at the end yeah we're excited for it. you know it's gonna you're gonna have to hit the ground running with uh only being you know 16 days but we're definitely excited for it for sure yeah and you kind of going off that uh individual commitment that was definitely honored uh, and culminated in you winning the inaugural Jimmy Regan Teammate of the Year Award. Uh, obviously, uh, there, there were a million reasons why you won that award, but talk about uh, what it meant to be the first recipient of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would say it's uh, 
That that is the best receive I've, uh, award I've ever received. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I talk about it with uh, my family a lot, just because in my acceptance speech I talked about it. Um, but my mom's uh, late brother, who died of testicular cancer, was 26. He was an Army Ranger as well, and it was crazy and fitting uh, that I I had won that and was able to give testimony to him, who I kind of dedicated the 26th year of my life to, because there's comparisons that are made. Uh, among my aunts and when I'm having conversations about uh, my mom's brother, Johnny. And I, I, uh, I look back at, at winning that and, and devoting it to somebody else. And I, it just uh, sheds light on the importance of, of, of setting goals with others in mind. Uh, that's a reoccurring theme in my life. And I think if you have that higher purpose, whether it be for an individual that you're doing it for, a team or a movement, um, you'll go further, right? And I've said that many a times, but uh, the two things I would say about it is such a high honor to receive, but I also want to point out that I, I don't feel like I, I just want it alone. I think there's there's also many amazing people that voted for me to have that, and I was able to do it because of the faith family uh, that I have and, and, and because of Johnny, my mom's like brother. Yeah, no, I I love that, what you said, uh, setting a goal with others in mind. I think that's, you know, sums up, you know, why you won that teammate award and sums up what a true teammate is. So I really like that quote. Um, But going off of that, too, we want to touch on your NLL experience a little bit. You made the San Diego Seals this year. Unfortunately, your season was impacted by COVID-19. But talk a little bit about, you know, going out to San Diego and making that squad. You know, you got to uh, play again with Brody Merrill, who's your teammate on the chaos. He's on the Water Dogs now. But talk a little bit about, you know, playing the box game. Sure. And I, uh, this is just goes back to me doing it for a higher purpose. I knew that Joe Sy, a Yale lacrosse grad, was the owner of that team. And I wanted to keep the Yale bloodline alive. That's why I went out there in the first place. And mm-hmm. I stayed for other reasons. I think Patty Merrill is one of the best motivators in the world, our head coach and GM. Uh, we have a great assistant staff in, uh, in Shooter and, and Billy Greer. And I, I think the, the culture is another thing that comes up in terms of the NLL. I think uh, American players don't really know what it's like on the inside there. And I think it's a privilege to be on the inside of the NLL because I went out and tried out for the San Diego Steels and made it to the final cuts two years ago. Uh, and that, that stroke a fire with me, right, to come back the next year and really go after it and uh, I, I was humbled to make the team. I was I, looking for a role. The game is much different, right? The bounce off the boards is different. The pace of the game is different. And the two-man game is different. You're always receiving a cross, cross check at some point or another ever, during the uh, 30-second shift. So uh, it's been awesome. I think the, the number one takeaway is, is the relationships that I've made, not just with Brody, but with uh, other guys on the team. I was living out there uh, with Nick Damude, who is our uh, one of our goalies, and the relationships that I've formulated on that team. I stay in touch with the guys to this day. It's awesome to not only be a part of uh, the PLL, um, but to get get to experience, it's a different game and, and it's a different group of people, um, just as awesome. But it, I really see it as a privilege to be a part of both leagues and, and have an impact on both teams. Absolutely. Yeah. Now let, let's get to some of your off the field stuff. I feel like this conversation has already talked about uh, the peak performance side of things, right? And, and uh, the fitness side, but talk about uh, your work off the field as a personal trainer and a peak performance coach. Yeah, awesome. I, I think it, it is a through line and every single time. I don't think I can get into a conversation sure. without yeah, that peak performance, right? Uh, 
my mentor, Dr. Gilbert, who I brought up briefly, we call ourselves soldiers in a war against average, right? And it's about bringing people from a state of above average to places that, that they've never been. And if you went along the spectrum, uh, this month right now in May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And there is a side of it uh, of depression and getting back to normalcy. And that's very uh, uh, an angle of therapy um, and psychiatric um, view of looking at things. And the mental game in which I teach as a mental coach is more of the applied psychology. So my first taste, like I said, was from the loss. The loss that I had at an 18 year old, uh, it was a tough year for me. I had a career ending concussion in football. Uh, uh, in the fall of my senior year, I broke my nose in, in basketball, I deviated, deviated septum, and then I went into lacrosse season, like I said, having a high hopes, and I lost that season because of a fractured spine, and then my mom gets sick. So as a very young individual, I look at it as a blessing now, but there was a lot of pain there, right? And it forced me to, to look at myself, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and mentally as well. So through that loss, I started to care about my mental health. I started journaling a lot down, uh, negative energy, writing poetry, short stories, and setting a goal or an aim as human beings were so derived by having a name rather than achievement in and of itself. So I started writing things down, like playing lacrosse at the highest level. And when I got to meet Coach Brian Kane as a junior, I still remember overthinking. I called him. Uh, the, we were in at Brown uh, in the hotel getting ready for an Ivy League championship game. And I called him. I said, I can't think. I'm thinking about every single thing. Um, and if you write down the word nowhere and put a line in between the W and the H, you go from nowhere to now here. And that's what Brian Kane helped me do. He I was thinking about anything and everything, overanalyzing, having paralysis by analysis, and he allowed me to get focused uh, and, and present. So that was my first taste. And when I graduated Yale with an economics degree, I went to Manhattan, was living in Manhattan for two years, working down on Water Street, brokering renewable energy, um, and working long days and working out before and after traveling on the road for pro lacrosse, I felt like I was burning the candle at both ends. And I started losing sleep. I started waking up in tears because I knew that what I'm doing now wasn't just a, a job or a career. It was a calling. So uh, I reached out to Brian Kane. He said, Oh, you got to go meet Dr. Rob Gilbert. So I showed up at his door and I stayed early, went to his class for no credit, stayed late. Uh, was just trying to pick his ear about every single thing about applied psychology uh, that I could use as a pro athlete, but also on the clientele that I was building. And now I, in 2018, two years ago, I started Mark Lucini Peak Performance, which is based on three pillars, lacrosse training for the high school and college athlete that's looking to take their game to the next level. I'm a certified fitness trainer and nutritionist, so I do that from the health and wellness front. And then what I'm most obsessive about is the, is the mental game. So those three pillars are what I've started uh, Mark Lucini Peak Performance. And there's different ways. I have, there's a big splash coming at the end of this year to show people on the outside world what I'll be doing um, and what it's all about. Uh, but I've already given people a little bit of that a taste in, in the podcast that I started several months ago. No, that's great. And uh, that kind of segues into my next question, too. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Grateful and Full of Greatness. Starting that podcast and then getting to talk to people kind of about, you know, what you talked about with the peak performance. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what convinced you to start that. Awesome. I would say uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I'll, I'll actually bring up two here, is uh, – it's the start that stops most people. I mean, that is the hardest thing is taking that risk to bet on yourself and choose an endeavor, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a 
a micro level in the fact that you need to get a workout done today or uh, t step away from the microscope and look at the telescope and what you want to do down the road. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, it really requires you to get started in some capacity. And I was really nervous. I didn't know anything about podcasting. I knew nothing, but I, I remember being asleep uh, on a plane traveling to San Diego and I woke up and on one of the pamphlets, a couple aisles down uh, in the chair in front of me, it said grateful. And I was, I had this aha moment that maybe I'm going to call this thing grateful and full of greatness. And it stuck because I think there's two sides to the coin. It's one thing to use all the desire and curiosity for personal excellence, like chasing greatness. But I think there's a lot to be said about giving back and being uh, grateful for those who have nourished you like a flower or a solid tree and watered you and gave you sunlight to grow. And I think I do that a lot. I reach out to a lot of people. I write letters. I let them know on a daily basis. I'd be nothing if it wasn't for you. Even my closest friends um, from Mawa, I'm not, I'm not the same person unless it was for those individuals that influenced me for the good and the bad. So I started this podcast and uh, I knew that there was individuals I knew that I would do it bi-weekly because I couldn't, like you guys, get as many followings to start. Uh, but I was really obsessive about getting the message out there by simple conversation about the importance of the pursuit, right? And that's how I start the whole conversation is uh, I chose this guest because they live with the pursuit of greatness in mind. And it's not just what you do from a training perspective or when the lights are on in between the lines, whatever your craft might be, but it's usually how you carry yourself all the time. And I'm really going out of my way to find those clients, those guests that can be on there that really do everything the right way. They have a, a, they have a mission. They surround themselves with positive people in an environment. And then they have the daily discipline to carry themselves, not just for days and months, but for years. A lot of my guests uh, like, like the Brody Merrills of the world, like the Ben Ives, like Coach Callanan, my first coach, uh, and my most recent uh, Coach Davis, they've been doing great things for, for decades, right? So I think uh, there's something to be said from that simple conversation, getting the message out there about peak performance, which is a way of life more than anything else. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, you, you talk about bringing those podcasts, guests on because of that peak performance and, and that pursuit of greatness. You usually end by asking how they define greatness. So I'm going to throw it back at you. And I'm always curious. Oh, wow. Wow. Putting it right back on me. <laughs> you know, I think it stems along the lines of what you said with J.J. Reddick's quote, uh, not arriving, but always becoming. That would have to be in line with one of my answers. And I think if you ask me tomorrow, it might be a little bit different wording or different sure. diction. But I always say to my clients and my teams that, um, having an expected end leads to average work. So if that's third quarter turning into fourth quarter and you look up at the scoreboard, oh no, we're up two. why can't the game just end right now? Uh, you might lose that game, right? You might lose that game because the probability of the outcome you want increases when you let go of the need to have it. So what it's all about to me is never arriving. I, I, something I do with my athletes is uh, extra reps, extra sets. And if we're on the, out on the field, I'll, I'll act like we're going into the third overtime in one of the reps that I'm doing. Because if you think that the ending is coming, it's going to lead to average work. And, and greatness is about, yes, the the mundane, the unsexy, boring lifestyle of doing repetition and living a lifestyle of always 
hydrating, getting enough sleep and doing the things that everybody knows to do, but not everybody does. And that's really the separating factor. Everybody knows what to do at some degree, but not everybody does what they know. So the answer to my, well, my definition of greatness would be never arriving. It would be uh, never think that the, the end of your book is coming, turn the page and keep writing because that, if you're able to do that, and live your life that way, that is contagious, that's greatness, and it makes other people want to be great too. That's awesome. I feel like we have so many like life lessons in this uh, first half of the episode. It's been great. Um, no, I love it. Um, that kind of wraps up our main questions, though. We're going to take a quick break. We'll hear a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to go into our five and five and have some a little bit of fun, too, with the lacrosse and off-the-field stuff. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today, I also want to talk to you about Phoenix Supplements. I started using Phoenix supplements after searching for a supplement brand that didn't use any unnecessary additives. Phoenix's line of supplements use only the required ingredients and is free of any fillers that many supplement companies use. Not only that, but their supplements are produced here in the U.S. in an FDA-regulated facility, and the best part is they taste really good. I personally like using the Orange Dream School Protein Blend in the morning, and I use their Chocolate Whey following workouts. So if you're interested in trying Phoenix supplements, visit their website, FNX. FIT.com and use the code ProLacrosse to receive 15% off your order today. All right, so welcome back. Uh, let's dive into our five and five segment. Um, so I'll start with the lacrosse ones. And uh, my first one is Do you have any pregame routines or superstitions? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I liked hearing this from Kobe Bryant and that he does what he needs to do before a game. I think everybody's very superstitious at the high level and, and making sure that everything is. Uh, particular, but I really like doing things along the same line as, as that is I know what I kind of need. I know if I need to get energized a little bit more or if I need to cool down. So uh, I would say I would listen to more energetic music if I need to. I'm not always putting the headphones in, but if I feel too relaxed, I'll do something. I'll get moving a little bit more, do some extra sprints to get the blood flowing. Um, but if I feel like I'm already there in, in terms of uh, ready to run through a brick wall, then then I'll focus on my breathing a little bit more. But I, I pay attention to where I'm at from a, from a number perspective in terms of arousal no i like that it's not necessarily you know doing the same thing every time but recognizing your own physical and mental cues and how to to meet those i like that um number two what is a top song on your game day playlist if you are getting jacked up (laughs) oh wow uh like I said, I'm probably different here than most people. If I need to, to calm down, some of the people that I listen to is uh, Dave Matthews Band, Ben Howard, and Ziggy Alberts. Those guys uh, take me to a place where it's a little bit more calm. One of the quotes that I've come across with is, is calm is contagious. And I've always listened to Eminem for a long time. I feel like uh, uh, his hard times I could speak with, and, and there's no better in the world in terms of, of rap and hip-hop than Eminem. So if I need to get going, I, I turn him on. Yeah, no, Eminem is a, is a staple for me as well, I'm sure, for, for Adam. Um, number three, who was a lacrosse player that you looked up to when you were younger and kind of tried to emulate? Sure. Uh, I would say 
as an offensive player, it, it, it was Paul Rabel. I, I looked up to him in terms of his triple split, taking guys off the top, uh, not just going doing a regular bull, bull dodge or a, or a single split, but kind of the shake bob of the head, um, triple split, get down the alley and find a corner. Um, there's a reason he's the, the, the owner of the league and started this is because he's been doing it for such a long time. But mm-hmm. in terms of offensive prowess, I would, I would definitely say him. And it's changed along the years uh, as my transition from offense to defense has changed. Right. So uh, yeah, I'm 19 years old by the time I'm focusing fully on defense. And then some of those guys are, are Matt Abbott. Right. When I was a, a rookie on the Bayhawks, he had been doing it for close to a decade. So you best believe I was sitting right next to him in his locker. I wanted to do everything with him. And uh, I knew that he was the best two way midfielder and I wanted to be. And what the mental game is all about is success leaves clues. So I would say I would have to give testimony to Danny Burns, like I talked about in my Yale career, but then Matt Abbott right when I got into the career because success leaves clues. And I wanted to do exactly what Matt Abbott does because he not only did it, but he stayed. It's really, really harder uh, to stay than become, I would say. So uh, that's something that's stuck with me. And and nowadays it's Bodie Merrill because no one's done it at a high level on the defensive end. Yeah, no, success leaves clues. I love that. That's another, so many great quotes from this so far. Um, number four, where's your current lacrosse stick set up in terms of shaft head and stringing? What are you rocking these days? Sure. It's funny. I actually just had to post a picture, um, about, uh, senior day back in when I was at Mawa high school, because, uh, the PLL is teaming up in Chipotle for that to give, uh, honor to those seniors who had lost their senior day. And I had the STX set up all the way back then. And then I was stringing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm back to STX. I use the Alliance and the Stallion head, um, with ECD mess, actually the hero message is great that, that I use. Um, so I string my own sticks, which is, is something that's different. Uh, I, I would say, um, but though that's my setup right now. It's awesome. No, I was never good at stringing. I always enjoyed doing it when I could. It just, you know, it, I just don't think I ever did it as well as some of the guys on the team that strung my sticks. But uh, I like the challenge, though. That's the unique thing about lacrosse, too, is that you have the ability to be creative with your stick and, you know, what shooting strings you're using. And you know, That's what I would say I am superstitious about. Like, I... I messed up for so many years and trying to string it, but now I have it the way I actually use Brendan Mundorf. Uh, the way he strung his side wall, he was when I was a rookie. There's another success leaves clues. I saw a, a future Hall of Famer and what he was doing, and I I've used it the, the same thing ever since. That's great. And uh, following off of that a little bit, do you use the same uh, stuff for analog? Is your stick setup about the same, or is it a little bit different? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're not allowed to use um, the same sponsors. Um, so I was using Warrior Indoor. Um, I used. Uh, a regular Evo uh, warrior head. And uh, I think there's only two or three that you could use, whether it was Epic underarm under armor or warrior. And I went ahead with the the warrior Evo. Gotcha. And then uh, the final one for the lacrosse is what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at? You guys went on the tour last year and went to a lot of great sites, um, but you know, it could be from college as well. Wow. Oh, well, things that come to mind when you first say that are long trips up, up to Cornell. I didn't beat Cornell until my 
uh, senior year in college, which is interesting because I won three out of four Ivy championships. Uh, the Princeton uh, luckily took them out my freshman year in the semifinals of the Ivies. Uh, but I just remember, I, I know you're looking for a positive answer, but I, I remember going up to Cornell and that was a long drive and a long drive back uh, for, for three years there. Cause we never beat them. Uh, and this, this, this following tour last year was very exciting. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind was, was uh, Chicago. We, we played in the rain. It was perhaps chaos's sloppiest game. And we found a way to win in overtime uh, on a dunk from Jake Ficaro to Josh Byrne on the inside. I remember it was kind of an interesting story because uh, I, I not only get in the way of uh, Kyle Harrison step down to put it into overtime, but it's raining. Uh, I have to fly to a wedding in Philadelphia that has already started. And for a split second, I remember saying to myself, wow, uh, I'm going to miss this wedding, but then I have to lock back in. So there's the mental game, be where your feet are. Uh, and I remember like, oh, there's lightning. Is, is my flight going to get delayed? And then I find a way to, to lock it in. Uh, I have one of the craziest clips of me going absolutely bananas after that that win in Chicago because I don't think we necessarily deserve to win but that's sport right and finding a way to win no matter what and it was a sloppy game and I'll always remember that because maybe we didn't deserve to win but we did enough to win yeah no I like that and it's so many there were so many great overtime finishes last season um I think that's a testament not only to the PLL and the talent but also just the sport in general I mean you know, I tell people, we, we did another podcast with somebody from the UK who was looking to learn more about lacrosse, and my pitch to them was that the sport, like, no one's ever out of it, you know, it's a game of runs, um, you know, even if a team's down by seven or eight goals, there's always that opportunity to come back, and I think, you know, there's very few sports, maybe hockey's another one that's kind of like that, but there's very few sports I think that you can say that about. Yeah, I would agree with you, that's so, so well said, and the fact, that, that makes it lacrosse the best sport I've ever been a part of, and I've pretty much played them all except except hockey and I love hockey for the same reason is because of the pace of play and the game of runs it's almost like the momentum is tangible like Drew Brees says like momentum can really change a game and there's three plays that you never know when they're going to happen happen but in lacrosse you can really feel that shift in momentum and it's really powerful absolutely all right, I'll take the off-the-field questions here. Uh, number one, what are some hobbies or activities you enjoy doing when you're not on the field? Sure, I, I think uh, it started when I was in high school, but I still do it to this day, is finding time to write throughout the day. Um, my sister actually for Christmas gave me a five-minute journal, which I write down three things that I'm grateful for, three things that I'm looking forward to in the day, and then a uh, positive affirmation. If I could recommend a book to somebody, it would be Life is Magic by John Dorenboss because we have 60,000 thoughts, 80% are negative, we're seven times more receptive to negative energy, and something that John Bo- Dorenboss talks about is talk to yourself, not listen to yourself. So doing that and writing down my goals and making them public with my friends and, and talking about that stuff, it becomes more of a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, more than anything else. So that's something that I do almost every day is write. That's awesome. Yeah, the magic man. I'm, in Bur- I'm an Eagles fan, so I, I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I do the journaling thing too. Tim Ferriss actually did uh, something pretty similar where it's, uh, yeah, you're grateful for one person. So you write them a letter every day and it really, it really changes your, your mood. And, and the, obviously you're, you obviously know about being grateful with the podcast, naming it of itself, but uh, no, that, that's awesome. Um, number two, what are, what's a, who is, excuse me, who is a non lacrosse athlete that you would really think would excel on the lacrosse field? 
first I cut. Well, I'm a diehard Giants fan, uh, diehard Giants fan, and, and the numbers I've seen. Uh, Saquon Barkley put up at, at, at Penn State and his explosion. I mean, I don't see uh, being a D-Mitty uh, something that I do not like is when somebody um, is looking to use their speed to, to cut me up and, and get down the alley one way. And I would have a hard time getting on his hands, let alone, let alone cross-checking him. That's a good choice. He's probably going to hopefully not tear up the birds uh, D-line this year. Too. <laughs> we'll see. It'll be a good matchup. Uh, number three, uh, favorite place to go on vacation? So I, I'm, my uh, grandparents on my mom's side, they have a place down the Jersey Shore, lived down in, in uh, Spring Lake for 25 to 35 years. And uh, now my cousins live down in Seager, down the Jersey Shore. So uh, we go down there and we have a great time with our cousins and extended family. And also my, my grandparents live in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, so they've stopped living up in the Jersey Shore and now they're down in, in Florida. And I think uh, I'm very faith-filled, but very family-oriented as well. So uh, I don't really care so much about where I am as, as opposed to where who I'm with. So I would say down the Jersey Shore or in Florida, Vero Beach with my family. Awesome choice. I'm right now. I'm in Brick. I'm getting married in Spring Lake uh, in the fall. So great, great choice. We're we're not sure where we're gonna live yet because um, I do work in Secaucus, but we're thinking about living uh, near the shore somewhere. And uh, you know, me just doing the commute because we love the beach so much. So well, congratulations, and I hope you're thank you. I know. Yeah. So far, so good. We still don't think we're gonna have to. We think if we do have to, you know, maybe if there's a resurgence, we'll have it a lot smaller, and then maybe do a bigger party in a year or so. But so far, so good. So. Congratulations, Hutton. Thank you. Uh, number four, I'm curious what your answer to this one is about, since it's Uh-oh. a little bit about nutrition. What's your favorite meal, and do you per- prefer to take out or cook at home? Woo! Well, <laughs> now, now I've been doing a lot of uh, cooking at home. Um, I'm a pretty boring when it comes to cooking at home I, I really uh eat a lot of chicken rice and vegetables it's really like a rinse and repeat in that way it's very mundane but oh if i was to choose some a very big sushi eater i really like sushi um I like probably once or twice a week uh a, an italian meal rigatoni bolognese or a uh, shrimp fried diablo i'm getting into more of a spicy lifestyle as of late as my friends will attest to um but I'm a pretty clean eater, and uh, I think my vice, just to to show that um, I'm not I'm just as normal as anybody else, is probably ice cream. I'd have to go with cookie dough. Cookie dough uh, ice cream is is, uh, is a vice of mine. Well, I'm an ice cream fiend, so I love yeah, it. Hutton's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that's a that's a Jackson trait. My so my <laughs> wife is Hutton's cousin. Um, wow. and we met, and uh, I think ice cream runs in their blood. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you should have a pro across talk about that. There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and number five, this one I'm, I'm super curious about. I was excited to ask you. Um, you talked a little bit about one particular book, but any other books or podcasts you would recommend uh, to a teammate or friend or anyone for that matter? Yeah, actually, the, the thing that comes to mind is kind of making sure I choose the right one here. I just yep. finished Fearless about Adam Brown, a SEAL Team 6 uh, a guy that passed away who has an amazing story. Uh, really, really loved that book. I would say The Art of Learning by Josh Waitskins um, was an exceptional book about the tactical yet psychological aspect to everything that you do. Um, 
the boys in the boat is is arguably the best book i've ever read in, ter in terms of bringing the faith or spiritual aspect into it and then finding a way to win olympic gold during nazi germany yep. the thing that got me into applied psychology is mind gym um by gary mack it's a yep. simple read if you're not a big reader it's like three to four pages per chapter which is exciting for the non-reader and then if i was to uh talk about podcasts the ones that i listen to most are how i built this and uh finding mastery i i i'm like I talked about doing things for family, I, I like finding specific guests as well sure. or, or great companies. Um, I'm reading the, the book right over there. That will never work about the CEO, uh, Mark Rudolph uh, of Netflix, right? So I'm a big, like I talked about, it's, it's really one of my successes that I could give away or clues that I could give away is, is that success leaves clues. So or yeah. even if I'm watching a video or listening to an audio book or um, if you want to make simple changes into your life, and I'm sorry for a long way to answer here, but uh, it would be own the day, own your life by Aubrey Marcus. It gives you optimizing strategies for every part of your day and specific parts of your week. Yeah. His podcast is awesome. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy his podcast too. Boys in the Boat, man, that, that was one that, uh, that really hit home for me too. I you know, that, that just shows you where, where all those different guys came from and the fact that there's no, you don't have an excuse, right? If you want to do something, you're going to do it, right? So they, the backgrounds, like overcoming those obstacles were, were massive. So I think about that when I'm working out too, you know? And it has a, the, a great mix of individual commitment. I mean, the, the main character's story is absurd. Yep. And there's so many times where he has to choose individual commitment over his feelings, which I'm sure he felt terrible. And then it brings the team aspect into it. Nine people in a boat with different personalities all rowing for the same cause. So you kind of, whether you're a coach a parent, whether you're, I don't know, just a human being with yeah, right. you're going to absolutely love that book. Yeah, no, and Mind Gym has been uh, suggested to us uh, multiple times as well. Ben Rubior just suggested it to us, and um, Michael Kersey as well, the Halifax Thunderbirds head coach. So that's one I think I need to pick up. I'm not the biggest reader as Adam is. Um, I enjoy those type of books, though, and um, something just a little bit to, to get me going each day. But uh, that wraps up our 5-5. Five and five. Final question we'd like to ask all our guests is, what is some advice you have for a young player looking to play lacrosse professionally? You know, I, I would say don't give up too soon. You know, I think uh, there can be this um, influx of information that says you should you should quit the sport. And something that we're doing wrong here in America is uh, teaching uh, kids the same way that we teach adults. And I think that's forcing kids to lose their love for the sport and, and their passion phase a little too early. Uh, I always say to everybody that the most powerful thing in the world is momentum. And the reason that is is because – uh, you're not staying the same. And if you're willing to make little positive changes in your life, right, the uh, easiest way to improve your life is to improve your inner circle. Your environment definitely matters. So do everything to protect your energy, right? Uh, and, and make sure that your energy is worth catching than avoiding. Uh, and, and it circles all the way back to once your energy remains high and you're willing to follow those daily disciplines that lead to a very momentous endeavor, just don't quit too early, right? And, and, and really stick with it uh, even when uh, there's a lot of adversity in your face because the same thing that blows out a candle extends a wildfire, right? So if I say a bad thing to you uh, that you're not good enough or I say a good thing, it all should build the narrative in your head uh, to use that as fuel to extend the wildfire rather than blow you out like a candle. 
Wow, that's great. I, I, I another interesting way to look at it too. I think too what you hit on with, um, you know, training these kids uh, as kids and not just as adults too. I think is important. You know, especially now these days, you see a lot of burnout in young athletes. So, um, yeah, I think that's some great advice. Well, Mark, this has been awesome. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, had a blast talking to you. Um, and we're really looking forward to watching the chaos in this championship series. Awesome. Today, I also want to talk to you about Design Tree. On our Design Tree store, we have several t-shirt designs like the Pro Lacrosse Talk tee I'm wearing today, our Blast Lacrosse shirt, Cross's Medicine shirt, and many more designs on the way. Design Tree is also home to hundreds of other t-shirt designs in the realm of sports and pop culture. To help support the podcast, please consider checking out our Design Tree store at dsgntree.com backslash pro-lacrosse-talk and grab a shirt today.